Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Bricktown. I am your host, Derek Drakeford. I'm with our number one guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Bob Drakeford. How are you doing? Doing fine, Dr. Drakeford. How are you doing? I am blessed. My favorite. God is good. I can't complain. That makes two of us. So, um, what is on Doc for the show today? I know you've got a lot on your mind. Uh, I know you've been thinking about your basketball days. Um, I know you've been thinking about some of the classic days in New York. Tell me about Bob Beeman. Well, Bob Beeman was uh, a guy I played with, played basketball with, believe it or not. You know, he's noticed something else. Uh, in the Salvation Army, I had a gym in Jamaica, Queens. And we'd go down by, by there and play. And I played against him many times and with him sometimes. And the thing about him is he could jump out the gym. I mean, he could literally jump out the gym. And uh, many years later, uh, he went to Texas Western, Texas El Paso. And uh, he uh, basically jumped out of the gym at the Olympics and the uh, broad jump. He jumped, I think, two or three feet further than any human had ever jumped ever in history. Wow. And uh, he was tremendous as that. And you occasionally see him now around. But he was the guy I played with at a little gym in in, uh, Jamaica, Queens. And during those days, I would play everywhere. I would, you know, I was playing everywhere. I was older than he was. I was playing everywhere and under any conditions. I was in college, I think, at that time. And but I remember going to the Salvation Army, which was it's actually a religious organization also, but they had a gym there for kids in Jamaica to play in. So I remember playing there, and in those days I would go everywhere to play around Queens. And Queens is one of the five boroughs of New York City, and actually it's a county. New York City has five counties in it. And uh, they all, and two of them are in Long Island, and the third one is, is third, the third and fourth one actually are not, actually Nassau Suffolk, which are by themselves. They're not in New York City. People aren't aware that New York City is really a conglomeration of a lot of little cities that came together over about 152 in the years. So it has a lot of little neighborhoods that are very unique and by themselves, basically. And that's still uh, reflected in you have these borough presidents, as an example. And boroughs are actually counties. And that's reflected now in some of the interesting uh, elections that are coming on. Because some of these people, like Cortez, they're actually uh, the congressman, congressperson in two different. Uh, Cortez's county is one's in the Bronx, which I think was where she lives, but part of it's actually in Queens, where the other guy who, who she unseated lived. So, the, the, you know, it's my New York City experience was such that I worked in New York City, I worked in Manhattan, I worked in a lot of different places growing up. But in my New York City experience is as a, a city dweller. And when I came south many, many years later, when I was, you know, going to uh, graduate school, uh, it was just uh, such a shock because it was so much more pleasant. It was so much, so much less, I guess, fear is probably a good word. Crime is not actually a, 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 a correct, correct term because I never was, was robbed or beat up or anything. So crime was never something I ever thought about necessarily, but it was around me, I guess. 
because New York City in those days was nowhere near as crime-ridden as it is now and nowhere near as dangerous. They've always had a, had a law for since the 40s, believe it or not, about how you could not have a gun, period. And so for a long time, gun violence was, was just not happening. The juvenile delinquents would, would hit you with sticks and stuff and have something called a zip gun, which they make out, out of breaking off antennas and two slugs. But, you know, that, that's, that's, that's all ancient history now. But uh, my growing up, there was lots of, of rival, little bit of little bitty gangs, but they weren't like the gangs are now. New York City is, is much more dangerous now from what I'm gathering for my relatives that are there, my nieces that are there, and other people that are there, than it was when I was growing up. It's a very different place. And it's, and it's got so many more people. Now, when I was there, it had like 7 million people. Now it's got 10. And the same, the same footprint of, of people, of, of housing and everything else. And it's just an awful place to live right now, I, I would suspect. So when I came to North Carolina to go to graduate school, I just stayed. And I've always been in North Carolina, except for the time when I went to Auburn, Alabama, and taught there for 15, taught there for 15 years. But uh, North Carolina is, was always a much better place to be at, even though my wife doesn't think that. My current wife doesn't think that, but it is. And it, it, in a lot of other places I've been. She's from Minnesota, and a little town that's, it's a little, little town. And uh, it's beautiful up there but it's a very different place and def- def- different place of way of life. Uh, whereas now we're in Larm, which has got you know, a little bit of a, you know, a problem in some of the projects, but otherwise it's a very safe place. It's a very rural place where we are. We live in a, among 150 acres or so of longleaf pine. North Carolina has one of the original longleaf pine, pine forests in America. And longleaf pine is the only tree that's actually the tree of two different states, North Carolina and, and Alabama. So it's a very different place. And we, we're having a very, I say, baccalaureate, which is, means very peaceful existence here in North Carolina and among our, our campground here, which we advise other people, Facebook and whatever. Our glamping pod has recently had had 115,000 likes on it, believe it or not. And uh, we're, we're doing tremendously financially well with, with our glamping ponds and our uh, yurts. And we're about to build the largest commercial yurt in North Carolina and also in the eastern part of the country. To start, it's the start of a convention center because there's none near us. There's need for that. We're going to get out of this, 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 this virus at some point. They, they're talking about a Today they were talking about a the first uh, one of these these virus you know uh, vaccines that are basically going to cure this virus. We'll do it because we've always done as a, as a race doing that as a race of people. So we'll do that and we'll get over that. If you can uh, avoid the outbreak that's here now, you'll be okay. But the problem is a lot of us ain't gonna live through it. I know if I get it, you won't have, you won't have to worry about podcasts again, because it'll probably take me away from me at seventy-five. <laughs> well, instead of talking about that, well, well, I don't really about... talk about that. I talk about life because I tell <laughs> to everybody out there: make sure you wear a mask wherever you go. So we all we all need to wear masks. Uh, I was talking to my brother about the first time I beat you in basketball. When did you do that? I don't remember that. 
It was, it was about high school. It took many, many years. And when it happened, it was such a great feeling. Tell us about Calhoun, the Collegians, and the Citywide. Well, uh, there's a guy named Calhoun who's since passed away, who was a young guy with me. He's about six foot five. And we two of us would go around the city and we play basketball against whoever was there. People would invite us to come and. Uh, play against the local legends they had in the first neighborhood because every neighborhood had a local legend playing basketball and me and him went down to the lower east side one time to play against some, some people who, who i knew i'd worked with some of these people uh in uh you know with the park department i'd worked down there with them to with the lowest east side to play in, i think with the kennedy center or one of these gyms they had out there and there was a guy that they wanted me to play against called big frank and Big Frank was about six one or so. I said, "Okay, what the hell?" You know, I played against a lot of big guys, a lot, a lot of stars I played against, a lot of All Americans I played against. So I went there and I went up there and I was actually I was dunking at that time, barely making it, but I could dunk. And I remember I got up and shot a jump shot. And this guy just got jumped up and caught it, caught this, caught my jump shot with his chest. He must have leaked twelve feet in the air. <laughs> I was just amazed. <laughs> I mean, literally, he caught my jump shot right with his hand. <laughs> and that's why they call him Big Frank. And uh, I didn't know that at the time. I, 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 it, was, it, was, it was an experience. But, you know, Callan was there, two of us. We could play against almost anybody we, we could see in the various neighborhoods. We, and we literally went almost everywhere to play. So, of course, we had our team, the, the St. Albans League Collegians, which played against everybody also. And we had a little bit of everybody. And in Queens, we had, they had the Corky Bells, and you had a James Tillman, and James Tillman was about, I guess he was about 6'5", and weighed probably 230. And for me at that time, which I was weighing about 170 pounds, uh, he was just a giant. But he could jump, and he, and he could play, and, and, he, and he got a scholarship to play at the Loyola of Chicago, him and Corky Bell got paid well to go to Loyola of Chicago to play. And I remember seeing a Sports Illustrated uh, picture of him guarding Lou Alcindor against UCLA. It wasn't very successful. He had done it, he had done it in high school, actually. And we had seen him do it, but he had, he had wasn't successful then either. Uh, Lou Alcindor, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar now, was the most dominating big man at that time, literally in the whole country. In high school, he was most dominating in a whole in the whole country. And what he was, he was his, his 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 basketball career wherever he went, whether it was Milwaukee, which he won a championship with, the only one they ever won. And when he went to the Lakers, the same thing. He was just dominating, and he did that his entire basketball career. He was a great athlete. And I remember being on a secret phone call one time. I, for a while, I was working for New York Telephone as a uh, representative uh, for, uh, I used to sell, sell telephones and stuff. It was, I worked for New York Telephone. I was in there when I management classes. So the, the, our operator, the telephone operators, which were all females, went on strike. So they made the younger managers learn how to do something called a TSP system, which they taught you in about five minutes. Is computerized, and we became operators. So I was among the first people to be a male operator in in all of telephone industry. Period. 
And so there was a couple of managers who we were all managers. And one of the calls I got was from Lou Alcindor, some girl calling Lou Alcindor at that time in LA. I guess he was Jabbar by then. And he she wanted to come and visit him. They had grown up in Harlem, I guess, together. And she was going to come visit him, not as a girlfriend, but she was just a friend. And he was just telling her that she, she had to get a car because she couldn't get around. And I, I said, that's all I really heard of the conversation. I kind of cut off it, but they, they didn't know I was listening to them. Uh-huh. Sure, I'm sure you cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I tell on television. <laughs> Calhoun and the Glee. Then you talk about Corky Bell, Jim Tillman, Eddie Freeman, Jamaica High. Well, we had to, basically at that time, there was a number of clubs that were put together. My club was the, was the St. Albans Collegians. We had a local pharmacist who would sponsor us. Otherwise, we couldn't have been. We had no money. So he, but he would buy our uniforms and he, he, he gets an entry at the con- and, and we had to pay some entry fees sometimes. He would pay that for us. Uh, this was a black guy with an a, a Italian wife. A, ni- a nice guy. I mean, yeah, a nice guy. And he didn't know anything about basketball. I would, I'd get him trophies. He'd stick them in the front windows in St. Albans on, on Linden Boulevard. But... Uh, so we had we had one of the major teams there, and 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 our Queens area, which was a big, you know, it was county, it was millions of people now. But we had the, one of the two dominant teams there, the St. Albans Collegians. Uh, a guy named Rudy Rudy Lee had a club called JYO, Jamaica Youth Organization, which I did play for later on a couple times in a couple different tournaments. And then there was the Reliables, and they were really the hoods. And they would, they would, they had players, and we had players, and and but all the hoodlums would always go be on their teams. So we would play against these guys in, in the citywide tournaments they had. And I had a job in the park department that I made sure I got to be the representative, recreation assistant, basically, for kids in college. And I, I, I had a neighbor behind me who worked for the park park, park department, and she told me how to how to make sure I got. You know, got the job, and basically said you need to be there first, and you design your name first. Be there, and then you, they they called your name, and I was the first name. So they said, "What do you want?" I said, "I want to be in Montebello Park." They said, "Okay, you got it." They said, "You're supposed to be out something about basketball." I said, "That's me." So I got that job, and I was working in Creedmoor part of the time. So I worked in both jobs at once. Glad, uh, blue car have to get out of the army and I had to do car and I'm doing this and doing that and I needed the money I was living at home but I still needed the money so we would play against all of the citywide people all over the city of New York a lot of the stars you think about uh, one of the things that uh, one of the groups of people that we played against was years later the first all black starting team Texas Western which is, which is now a different name, but Texas Western won the national championship. Well, two of those guys I had played against, Willie Cager and Willie Worsley. I played against both of them in the citywide tournament because they came down from, I think, I want to say the Bronx to play against us, and they beat us. But we played, we held our own against them. We we was good as anybody else, but Calhoun was one of our leading stars. And I, my team was the one I started, the St. Albans Collegians. And we so we had teams that were juniors, seniors, and unlimiteds. So in our neighborhood, St. Albans, we had all these different teams. I'd coach them all, and we were really very good. And a lot of those guys went on from being that scholarships. Um, there's a Richie 
forgetting a point guard for Boston University. And I remember pitching the president. He many but Richie was very good, and he's a good guard. And we had lots of lots of guys that were just the lo- the local guys from about three or four counties would come and play with us. We were the alternative good guys versus the, the reliables, which are the, which were the bad guys. They were all hoodlums. Now, now, hold on. Who, who ended up winning when the bad guys played the good guys? They usually did. <laughs> <laughs> we would win some of the time. Uh, we would win some of the time. No, quick question. Quick question. What do you say when you walk him back the court after you shoot a jump shot and someone catches the jump shot with their chest? What do you say to your teammates as you walk him back? Well, in that case, we were actually playing in a freelance thing. And that guy, that guy, unfortunately, got killed a couple, a couple years later down in Avenue D. But anyway, it's uh, the bottom line of that was, uh, I we played the city wise. We played in the unlimited, unlimiteds, which is anybody. A lot of those guys were pros. A lot of those guys, almost all of them, were, were, were college stars who could play at the time in the summertime. So they they come on from playing big time college sports, and we play and we we play against them. And we we played about six hundred. I guess we we won about six sixty percent of the games probably. We never won the tournament. We were close. When juniors, we made it to the to the statewide or the countywide finals, and we lost to a, a team that somebody had paid for. And in fact, I saw an article in the, in the papers because we would play everywhere in Queens, everywhere we would play. Uh, we we played in a, a, a tournament. On the other side of Queens, which we had to catch three buses to get to the tournament, and we were the only black team there. But there was a guy over there who funded some teams called Garfunkel, Garfunkel. And I saw in the New York Times an article about him. He died about ten months ago. But he would, he would, I don't know what he did, but he would fund black guy, black kids to play from Boys High and everywhere else. And these were these were Americans who, who all had college scholarships. But we played, and we would lose to them, but we wouldn't lose by much. And there would be a couple of high school teams that in the summertime, this is how they, they practiced. And we had guys like uh, Calhoun, uh, sorry, some of them, but uh, we had one guy that was just, he could just dunk in one-on-one lines any kind of way. Got in the game, he couldn't do anything, but because he didn't have a jump shot. Uh, we had guys like Baghdad. That was the guy's nickname, Baghdad. I didn't know where Baghdad was, but he he was one of the guys we played against. We played we from St. Albans, which in St. Albans. Legion, and basically to try to get the guys into thinking about how to go to college and stuff like that. And a lot of those guys went on to college and played in college because of that. So we were always very helpful in doing that. And I don't think we realized what we were doing necessarily, but we did that. I was in college myself at that time at Long Island University or Queens College or Queensborough Community College. I went to all three of them, and I was in one of those three all the time. And. Uh, it, it was an experience, and when I went to Queens College, I would play with with the 
they, they had a, a separate awful an illegal kind that would play against the varsity team. We were, we were the guys who went to night school because at that time, Queens College, you had to have a 95 average to go to day school. And then they had a night school for all the black kids. So in the day school, I would play against the team, the, the, the official college team I played. And I had my own locker room and everything with the varsity, and we played. Yes. Are you there, Rudy? Yes. Are you there? Great, yes. Great stories about basketball. I can barely hear you now. Great stories about basketball. Enjoyed hearing everything. One of the things I enjoyed as a kid growing up was you coaching my little basketball team. Why did you do that? Well, I, I, I did it because, you know, I, I enjoyed coaching kids. If I, I had two boys who won, who wanted who played out and back and wanted to play, so I enjoyed coaching them and coaching some of my friends' kids. Uh, some of them, like little Neil, went on to play college basketball, and I was the first coach he ever had. A lot of the stuff, if you if you pass it down to other people, it kind of works up. A lot of those kids that I that I helped coach, they don't want to become wonderful people. I was in many cases one of their in, I won't say this negatively, but one of their first male positive role models, and I know that. And I saw how they interacted with you and your brother and other kids, and I didn't curse at them, I didn't do anything, I would try to make them go good. I, you did once, but on that, you know, uh, most of the kids never, didn't cry about anything, and they had a good time. And a lot of them stayed, went on to play through their high schools, and I kept on doing it. And some of the kids, as I later on, I didn't necessarily coach, but I helped get 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 into get into Quinnipiac and, and other places. I helped and gave them a chance to go on and become something. And a lot of people became something because they listened. And what I did to do to give the road. You never know who's gonna for something you did years before that. And that's happened to me numerous times. But people who have helped me said, oh, that's who you are. You, I had one lady at the, at the hospital was a nurse. said, are you Coach Drakeford? And this lady was in her, I guess she was probably in her 40s. But she had been in, at, at the community college, Richmond Tech, as a student. I didn't know her. When, she, when I was coaching Richmond Tech in basketball. And we made, made the, the regional playoffs a couple times when we played. And it was... We helped a lot of guys at least go to college, and some of them, some of them did better than others. But we at least gave them a shot at doing that and how to move on. And some of them did, some of them didn't. But at least they had a shot, and that's what we did. And, and one of the things I found interesting is the things that I would teach the players to do, they would go to the local industrial teams that were playing at the same time, and they would coach those teams with the same thing, with the same thing I just told them, which was amazing. <laughs> one, one, of the, one, of my, one of my students said they, he went to one of the Trussell League games and one of the other guys who was part of him and his cousins had played for us he said it was like watching you coach he said they would do exactly the same thing you would do it call it exactly the same plays and exactly the same defense and offenses so you know you're passing it on and you're passing it forward and you got to do that 
and I'm sure you're going to do that too. That's fine. That's the way you need to do it. Uh, whether it's in basketball or and just in life. And I think I've always done that, and I've, I've done it my entire life. It's kind of been rewarding because people helped me. Ed Bell, some other people stuck their neck out for me. And that's how I got forward. And I feel great about that. And I need to, in fact, I need to do a shout out to Ed Bell myself now because he, he was so helpful to me. I, he, he made me the person I was. He got me at a time when I was ridden down and in between setbacks because everybody has setbacks and moved on. And as I said earlier in an earlier podcast, I've made three fortunes and lost three, at least two of them anyway. One I got now is pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of restrained by my wife and, and my kids from losing this one. But uh, the bottom line is everybody has ups and downs in their lives. And you got to get up from. Reasons. Ungodly reasons. You don't worry about that. Just move on. And there have been a lot of people who for me and give me ideas I would never have had otherwise cultures in a lot of different places. I'm sitting on a 20-foot high geodesic dome, which is one of five domes that I live in, one of the most unusual houses in America. But I'd always wanted one for all these years. I remember my buddy Neil had said to me, I, that I, he reminded me recently when I came back, back to North Carolina, he said, you said to me, sitting in a trailer, a And I, I did 20 years later. And those are the things I remember talking to some guys that went to Desi Domes years ago when I was when I was at college at, at UNC UNC Chapel Hill. And these guys were telling me I'm talking about geodesic domes and this and that. I didn't know what those were. One, one of the guys was kind of a rich, rich inheritance kind of guy, and he had built a couple of them. And the bottom line is I, I really wanted one. I knew I couldn't afford one. And couldn't afford one here. So I, I basically I, group of stories and lessons. America, I hope you enjoyed listening to my dad today. I definitely enjoyed it. Had some good laughs and learned a lot. As you're thinking about raising your kids, raising your tribe, raising your community, think about some of these lessons that we've heard today and uh, how sports and basketball can transcend race, culture, and time to create community. Look forward to talking to you next week on Bricktown.